Welcome to Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company. I'm your host, Alan Draper. I'm a family man, an attorney, and a serial entrepreneur who found a passion for the world of pests. Every week, this podcast will be your go-to for everything you need to level up your PCC. Thanks for joining me today. Now let's go. So training, create that system and tweak it over time, right? When you're trying to figure out what the training should entail, reflect on a couple of things. Reflect on, number one, what are the core values of your company? What are the most important aspects of your company that you wanna make sure your technician or your office staff, whatever the role is that they're filling, they need to know. Hey everyone, welcome to the episode today. We are going to do another Q&A with yours truly today. And I reached out to people on my group, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company, and asked about some of the topics that they would like me to cover. I received a lot of great feedback. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to narrow it down to just two or three questions and take it from there. I get a lot of questions about hiring, onboarding, training, and retaining personnel. I'm going to spend the bulk of the episode speaking about personnel. So I received questions about personnel from both Jake Ingledu and Tom Mache. Let's chat about that a little bit. People ask a lot where to find good people. And to be honest, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, you should always be hiring. And let me actually put push pause and take a step back. The audience that I'm speaking to today is going to be those who have at least 10 technicians or in that area with really busy summers, fast growth summers, and that do several hundred thousand million plus in annual revenue. So, and I know that doesn't apply to everybody. And I think I'm going to speak briefly about smaller companies taking that leap with your first technician later on. So that's my group, 10 plus technicians, you know, million, several million a year in revenue, busy summers, fast growth companies. First of all, when we're talking about where to find good people, the answer is everywhere. Now, obviously, there are some websites that I would recommend that if you fall into that category of companies that I just described, I would have a job posting for technicians that I would never take down. I would have it run year round. And someone spoke before one of my guests, I think mentioned that on some platforms, you actually don't want to leave it up year round. You want to delete that post or remove it and then create a new one. So you can work with a a rep on this specific platform with those details, but you need an ad up year round. This helps for a lot of reasons. One, it's going to make you a very good interviewer. It doesn't hurt to have a couple of resumes on file for when you're in a pinch, especially if really good people. I think Jana on the last episode spoke about how she had a technician that 
was so great, even though they didn't have work for him, she kept him around doing odds and ends. So number one, always be looking for good help. I guess my second suggestion would be don't limit yourself to online ads and don't limit yourself to people that already have a license or are already interested in the industry. We look for, for good help in all sorts of places. If somebody, you know, if I'm at a grocery store and somebody does an excellent job helping me find something or, you know, explain a particular product or help me with the pricing or whatever, I'll always give them my card, text them my number, whatever, and let them know, hey, if you're ever looking for a job, we would love to, you know, sit down and chat because we're always looking for good people like you. So don't just wait for the resumes to come to you. Be proactive about it. Another source can be the people that work there. This is one of my favorite source sources of employees. And this can be good and bad because if it doesn't work out and if they're friends of somebody that already works for your company, there's a chance that they could badmouth the person that's still working there that referred them and you end up losing two people instead of just one. But I think this is preventable if you, one, hire good people and two, take care of them. So my favorite sources of hiring people and finding people is actually through people that already work for my company. We do an incentive where um, if somebody refers a friend and that friend works for proof for more than a certain amount of time, they receive a referral fee. So yeah, so there's a couple of ideas of where you can find good people, but always be looking. Even if you're not hiring just always be be looking and you will find something for them to do or somewhere to put that person. Let's talk a little bit about how to determine whether or not the person is a high quality individual, somebody that fits your company's goals and core values, and whether that person is a right fit. Out of everything that's involved in owning and running a business, this is one of the most difficult. And that's because you have such a short period of time and limited information on which to make this decision. There are some tricks that I've learned over the years that have helped me determine personality, work ethic, and things like that through interviews and kind of the screening process. So I love asking questions in the form of, hey, if I were to call your previous manager, or hey, if I were to call your spouse, and then ask whatever question you're wanting them to answer truthfully, I feel like that's a really good method. And part of it's because in their mind, they're thinking, hey, this guy's really going to call my manager or whatever. That's been a very useful tool for me. I don't overuse it. I don't ask every question like that. But for example, if I found somebody that I really like that had a really short last employment, like a few months, less than a year or whatever, or some history of short employment, then I, I'll use that. I'll say, hey, you know, if I gave your manager a call, why would he tell me that you left? A second thought is about what I just mentioned, and that's short employment. That is a red flag to me if somebody has a history of jumping from job to job, 
huge red flag. I will not hire somebody that jumps from job to job unless there's a very legitimate reason for them doing so. Another thing that you can do to determine if somebody is a right fit is give them problems to solve or a task to accomplish and see what what their thought process is, see how they work through that problem and things like that. I also like questions about, tell me a time that you were frustrated with your last job and asking questions about how they problem solve Because what I'm trying to get at is, what's this person going to do when they get frustrated, when they're not happy with something? Because this individual will never be better than they are in their interview. That's just the way it is. You have to figure out, what's this individual going to be like on a day-to-day basis? And that's very difficult to do. So those are some of the tricks that, that I've learned I think another trick, it's not even really a trick, but a suggestion that I have that I've seen a lot of employers mess up, and that is to spend the entire time talking about their company. Ask open-ended questions, have conversations, and let that let the individual spend the bulk of the interview talking. And that's happened at my company a little bit, and I, I totally get it. I've done it where I'm so excited about the position that's opening. I'm so excited about our growth. I'm so excited about the future and the trajectory of our company that I want to tell this person about it. Fight that temptation. Let them control the interview. Let them spend the bulk of the time speaking, which reminded me of another point, and that is always ask them if they have questions. So I do this for a couple of reasons. One, it lets me know and gauge their interest in my company. If this is one of 10 interviews and they're not really interested in my company, then I'm not really interested in them. Okay, see what kind of questions they have and they better have a couple of really good questions. Like, hey, tell me, how did your company start and why did you guys choose that name? You know, what are some of the goals that your company has? Things like that. Those are great questions that they can be asking. Part of that actually goes back to the recruiting process. And I've spoken about this before, but if you're not getting applicants that are asking good questions that are talented individuals, then the problem is not with the avenues that you're using to find good people. The problem is your company. And what I mean by that is you're not doing a good enough job making yourself attractive enough to bring in top talent. There are some pest control companies out there that that's not their goal. They're not looking for top talent because They're actually just looking to throw on as many accounts as fast as possible and sell the branch. But for those that worry about good personnel, you have to make yourself attractive to them just as much or more than they have to make themselves attractive to you. And I think we forget about that sometimes. So do some research on what motivates people because the research and the psychology is actually a little skewed. People... People think that money's the number one motivator, and it's not. I think it's two, three, or four down the list. One of the greatest motivators is 
people want to work together as a group to obtain a knowable or an honorable end. And I don't know if I've shared this story before, and I don't remember what the source is, but if somebody has this source, uh, make sure to post it in our Facebook group, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company. And if not, I'll make sure to post it in there. But I believe it was a Stanford or Harvard study. Don't they always seem to be Stanford or Harvard? It was a motivation study, so a psychological study, where they were trying to determine what motivates people. And they created this job where they paid people, I think, the equivalent of like 20 bucks an hour. And I think this was the 80s or 90s. So it was a good good salary, $20 an hour. They take them out into the, the middle of this field. And they would have them dig holes, right? So they had them dig holes for four hours and they got a whole bunch of people, right? That signed up 20 bucks an hour. That's awesome. So they had them dig holes. And then after four hours, they said, all right, now go ahead and fill the holes back up. And the people were like, what? I just spent four hours digging these holes and now we're just going to fill them back up. So anyway, so they filled them back up for four hours. At the end of the day, they said, hey, we will double your pay if you come back tomorrow. And so now they're at 40 bucks an hour or whatever the rate is, right? Concept's the same. And what they noticed is the next day, half of the people showed up or about half. So they're getting paid 40 bucks an hour of the equivalent to dig holes and then fill them back up. But now they know what their job is, right? So half of the people show up and... At the end of the day, day two, they say the same thing. Hey, great job. If you show up tomorrow, we'll double your pay, 80 bucks an hour. And the next day rolls around, day three. And again, half of the people from day two showed up. They do the same thing. Pay them 80 bucks an hour, dig holes, fill them up. And I don't remember if it was after day three or after day four of this process, but they told them they'd double the pay and nobody showed up. And so psychologists were like, wait a minute, if it were just about money, if money was the number one motivator, these guys are being paid $160 an hour or $320, whatever it was at that point, to dig holes and fill them up. And they didn't want to do it anymore. Even though they initially signed up to do it and they lasted two or three days or four days, whatever it was. I want you guys to keep that, that concept in mind. And I've probably oversimplified it a little bit, but I but the conclusion is still valid. And that is, you have to give them something more than money. If Simon Sinek said something like, if you want their time, then pay them well. If you want their heart, then you have to show them a worthy cause. And so, and it, this is tough in pest control. It's tough because it's not the sexiest of jobs it's a lot of times it's blue collar work, right? That's a very difficult thing to do is provide this, this meaning in their work, but you have to do that from the beginning at proof. We talk a lot about our core values early on, actually in the phone screening, we tell them, Hey, we're going to have a conversation during your first interview about our core values and about proofs mission statement you're going to want to review those before you come to your first in-person interview. And so we kind of set the tone early. And then during that interview, we talk a little bit about what, what proof's history is, 
and what we're accomplishing and and what the future holds. Don't overestimate the value that is talking to people about the future of your company and what role they have in it. What this will do is it will quickly weed out those that aren't interested in that. And to be honest, you don't want those people anyway. So, okay, I'm going to talk about two more aspects of personnel and then we're going to move on to two other questions. So one aspect is training and the other aspect is firing. And both of these aspects are very important. The first word that came to mind when somebody asked me about training was systems. And if you have at least 10 technicians, you have to have some training systems in place. You have to know what day one through 10 is going to look like minute by minute, right? 30 minutes, first 30 minutes, they're going to be filling out their paperwork or they're going to meet the owners or whatever it is, whatever your schedule is. So that you're not reinventing the wheel every time. You're you're all way too busy for that. So that training process needs to be planned ahead of time and not, hey, okay, yeah, you're going to ride along with so-and-so unless that's part of the plan, right? So create systems and do that when you have some downtime because that's one of those activities that is not – you know, according to the seven habits of highly effective people, it would fall into the category that is important, not urgent, which you need to spend 70% of your time in. So training, create that system and tweak it over time, right? When you're trying to figure out what the training should entail, reflect on a couple of things. Reflect on number one, what are the core values of your company? What are the most important aspects of your company that you want to make sure your technician or your office staff, whatever the role is that they're filling, they need to know. And so start there. If customer service, if, you know, customer retention, if sales, if teamwork, you know, and then the specifics of those broad categories, if those are your core values, then that is where you start with the training. So that's the first place to look. What are your, what are your core values? What is your company culture and what are you trying to accomplish with your company? The second thought that I have about training is what are some issues that you've had in the past? Are you having issues with technicians driving? Are you having technicians get speeding tickets, uh, run into other vehicles? What are the things that as leaders and managers you get asked about all the time? Nip that in the bud and get that cleared up from day one or two, or five, or whatever it is, but get that cleared up in the beginning. Make sure that, I guess my third suggestion about training would be focus on your systems. Make sure that they know that if they have a question about which products to use, they have a source for that information, and that they're going to the right person. Otherwise, you're, what you're doing is you're compromising efficiency of your company, which is deadly to a service company because of the importance of net margin. Let's talk a little bit about firing and then I'm going to move on. So firing is, I always say that it's the most important thing, but next to having good people on, on the proverbial bus, making sure that bad people aren't on it is, you know, a very close second. Service businesses are all about people and it's hard to do. And I've drugged my feet with firing people that I knew that needed to be fired because it's hard, right? You don't want to be the bad guy. 
but here's a couple thoughts. One, there's two parties that are unhappy if somebody needs to be fired. It's not just the company. The individual isn't happy either. And although it sucks firing somebody two months down the road, both parties will be happy that it happened. And the longer that it takes, the longer you drag your feet with firing somebody, the worse it's going to be. And so that's one of those things that you just kind of, you just rip the bandaid off as soon as possible. The second thing to think about in terms of firing is what is this bad apple doing to the rest of my company? How is this bad apple affecting not just the culture and the work enjoyment of my good people, but how is it affecting my bottom line? You know, how many times am I going to allow this person to receive a one-star review or whatever? So firing is very important. Everybody that's listening right now, except for you solo operators, probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a, such a tough decision. And it's something that, again, I've delayed in the past, but I try to just, I try to do it as fast as possible and just get it taken care of. All right. So my, my buddy, Patrick Hawker asked, if you had to choose when starting your business, would you focus on one service area and build up density and profitability before expanding? Or would you, as far as your budget, budget allows, expand quickly to other areas? I would not expand to other areas until I'm a multi, multi-million dollar company. Even then, even 10, 20 million, I'm probably not expanding into other lines. You just don't need to. I would actually add new branches and new locations doing the same thing before I would add new product lines. And he, he mentions, assume that money is an issue, but that all profits could be put into quickly expanding into other service areas. Uh, if money's an issue, this is especially true. I feel like a lot of good companies have been broken down because they tried to integrate horizontally, right? So for me, it would take a lot for us, for example, to, to add a service line like landscaping or lawn care. Get really good at what you do. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about a hedgehog concept. And he talks about how it's kind of this intersection of something that you're passionate about, something that, that drives your company's economic engine, and something that you feel like you could be the best in the world at. And where those three things meet, that's your hedgehog concept. And don't stray from it, right? We, it, it's so tempting. I get it. Like, we, especially in the service industry, because we see people with broken windows and we see people with lawns that need sprayed and cut and hedges and all this stuff, find a good partner company to refer them to and see if you can get some referral business back. Fight that temptation, especially Patrick, for you that where you're just getting started out, it's so tempting. The grass is always greener and don't let kind of this shiny object distract you. It's, it's not easier, man. It looks like it. It looks like it's going to be a windfall. It's not. Get really good at what you do get to the point where you have this niche that you just completely dominate and then expand your service area. Now in the beginning, you have to take whatever comes in, right? Which, which I get, there's this weird balance where you kind of have a larger service area in the beginning and then you shrink that down as you, as you can start to pay your bills and stuff. And then you grow again, once you get the route route density to where you want it. 
so yeah, stay away from adding service areas. And by service area, I think he, he means, you know, different types of services, not that geographical service area. So all you new guys that think that that's the way to profits, it's not. Skip it. Okay, I just realized that there's a decent conversation going on our Facebook group, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company, about testing Dan Christensen, who I had episode three, I believe, uh, about marketing, asked, have you ever tested having two techs per route, efficiency, higher morale, etc.? I love Dan. Awesome guy. For me, this is a complete and utter no-brainer. I do understand this concept, right? I understand why it's appealing. And I don't know that this analogy fits perfectly, but let me ask you this. Dan and all of those others who are considering putting two people in a truck, I've heard it called like a super truck or a double or whatever. Would you rather have two of you or one of you? And I know that's an oversimplification, but I think the logic holds. I think it does. And that's because even though there's an increased cost in equipment, vehicles, insurance, things like that, auto insurance, it's much more efficient to have somebody somewhere else. Now, I think this applies to a point. We could take the extreme on the other end of the spectrum, right? And that is, okay, Alan, well, if that logic holds, then why don't I have 20 technicians that, that work 10 hours a week? That's taking it just too far because of that overhead and because of the issues with finding good people and training them and things like that. There's this balance. And I heard a very wise man once say that he would rather have four technicians working 50 hours a week than five technicians working 40 hours a week. But just in terms of efficiency, I would rather have two techs in two separate trucks doing those 50 hours a week. So in that post, on our group, Dan mentions that he would be looking for more non-numerical effects like tech turnover, morale, professionalism, accountability, brand image, and things like that. So honestly, I have this saying where I say that customers, they cancel companies, but they won't cancel their technician. And what I mean by that is if they have a relationship with their technician, they're not going to cancel. But if their relationship is with a whole bunch of technicians that have stopped by and they don't really know their technician's name and they don't have really a contact at the company, then it's a lot easier for them to cancel. Because a lot of times I feel like customers feel like they would be doing something to the technician, right? Like, hey, I could never do that to John, even though John may be incentivized for retention. But at the end of the day, it's a much bigger deal to the company than it is to John. So... I think that would be one of the side effects of having a super truck is which technician talks to the customer, which one's the face of the customer, which one, I think it just causes some issues that way. But with you guys that have done it before, if you would post in our group about it, it looks like there's a good conversation going on in there about it. And it does look like there are some pros, but it would take me a lot of data to change my mind about this just because of the efficiency. The most valuable thing that you and your people have is your time. Having two guys in the same place at the same time is not super efficient. And it would take a lot of data for me to be convinced that increasing company morale makes everything else worth it, that lack of efficiency and everything. I also think, at least with our model, we try to hire people that are self-motivated, that 
like to work on their own, that like to control their schedule and work at their pace and things like that, that like to be a little more in control of their work. And so I think you lose a lot of that. And I think that you would lose that type of individual if they're constantly with somebody. But anyway, those are my thoughts. But I'm interested in hearing some of the success stories that other people have, because I do know that there are some companies that do it and there's got to be a reason why they do. I would just be interested to know if it's backed by data. All right. So I am going to give away a flow zone to somebody and then I'm going to close this episode just talking about legacy a little bit. So to be qualified, you have to be part of our start and grow your pest control company group on Facebook you need to follow me on Instagram, Alan R. Draper, and I need you to leave me a review on the platform that you're listening to this episode on. It just makes it easier for people to find this podcast. And finally, I need you to share this episode on Facebook and tag me in it. So quite a few steps, but yeah, I'll choose one lucky winner to send a flow zone to. So again, you have to be a member of our group, starting to grow your pest control company. You have to follow me on Instagram, Alan R. Draper. Leave me a review about this podcast. And fourth, share this episode on Facebook and tag me in it. And I will choose one lucky winner and contact them and send them FlowZone. I wanted to close this episode. Proof, we had our annual banquet last week. And after our banquet, we took a bunch of people to Cancun, had an awesome time. At the banquet, the organizer asked me to spend a few minutes talking about some metrics from 2020 that proof hit and that we were proud of. And I shared a couple revenue sales. And then for the third one, I started thinking a little bit about what proof's legacy is. And I was in, in the room with a whole bunch of door-to-door sales people, both men and women. And I started thinking about what the legacy of proof is and about how they weren't too young to start thinking about their own legacy. And it reminded me of this saying, and I don't know who said it, but it was something about how our goal shouldn't be to live forever. Our goal should be to create something that does. And I think that there's a lot of ways that we can create a legacy. I think we create legacies through our children through our relationships. I think we create legacy, a legacy through what we give to people. And I've talked about this before where I think it's cool to build a multi-million dollar company, be on the PCT, top 100, whatever your goals are financially. I think it's a lot cooler. I think it's a lot more of an accomplishment to say that you helped somebody else do that. One of my idols is Lavelle Edwards, uh, BYU football coach, legendary, one of the best to ever coach college football. And he's not a household name, but a lot of the people that he led and that he trained and that were assistants under him are household names. Some of those names include Mike Holmgren, Steve Sarkeesian, Robert Anai, Kyle Whittingham, Norm Chow, Ty Detmer, Andy Reid. Brandon Doman, Brian Billick. And so we've got quite a few Super Bowl champs on that list. Just kind of a thought to leave you with. 
What is your legacy, both as an individual and as a company? After everything's said and done, you know, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to die, right? And so what is it that, that lives on once you do? What do, what do people remember about you? What is your legacy? What did you create that lasts long after you're gone? So as you're going throughout your day-to-day, and it's hard, man, when technicians are you know, complaining about their routes or we're getting one-star reviews or whatever, it's tough to think about the big picture. But the big picture, taking a step back, has always helped me. So that I can deal with this minutiae, this stuff that seems not super relevant. But people remember how you treat them. So I invite you to do that. Think about your legacy. Write it down. Think about what you want to leave after you're gone. What what do you want to leave behind once you've left this industry? And put an action plan in place that allows you to, to reach that in. So was an awesome day chatting with everybody. As always, I welcome DMs or phone calls. If you guys have questions, love hearing from you. Thanks for listening today, and we will catch you next time.